This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Today, I'm going to be talking to you about a, a topic that uh, is one that I, I really struggled with being okay with presenting to you today. Um, Pastor Aaron called me several months ago and, and gave me a date and said, you know, would you be willing to, to speak? And I said yes. And so uh, I began to, to pray about what, what does, does God want to speak to the church at Indian Lake today? And a short time after I began to pray about that, the, the word contentment kept coming to me. And, and much like Jonah probably did when God first told him to go to Nineveh, I first said, no, that's probably not it. I don't think that's the word that, that you want to speak to your, your congregation on that day. And the word kept coming back to me enough times that I realized whether I wanted to speak about contentment or not, it was going to be the subject that he wanted me to bring forth today. And the reason why I was reluctant is because it's something that I struggle with. It's not something where I feel like, man, I have got victory and contentment, and so therefore I can bring this uh, message based off of of my experience of, of victory in this area. So I'm coming to you today preaching this message as much to myself as I am to anyone here. And so as I thought about that, I thought, well, you know, there may be people in the audience who have mastered this whole idea of contentment. And then I realized, well, if they have mastered contentment, then they'll be content to hear a message about it. So um, we didn't, uh, didn't change the, the message. The joy of contentment is the message for today. There's a Russian proverb about a family living in a small hut. They were a mom and a dad and three kids. And some unfortunate circumstances happened that caused the mother and father of the wife to come and move into the small hut. And so the father in this particular situation, um, trying to raise three kids, has his in-laws come and live with him, and things began to be a little bit cramped. And so he went to a wise man in the village, and and he explained the situation and said, I just don't know how much longer I can go on living in these conditions. Our house is too small, and now we have two extra people there what do you suggest that I do? And so the wise man looked at him and he said, do you have a dog? The guy was like, well, yes. He said, bring the dog into the house and come see me in a week. And so he brought the dog into the house. A week goes by and he comes back to the wise man and he's like, things are worse than they've ever been. I don't know what what I can do, but I've got to do something. I'm going crazy. And the wise man thought for a moment and he said, do you have chickens? And he said, well, yeah, I have chickens, three of them. Bring them into the house and come see me in a week. And so a week goes by and he comes back and, and the man is just beside himself. He just doesn't know what he's gonna do. And the wise man looks at him and says, do you have a cow? And reluctantly, he says, yes, I have a cow. He said, bring the cow into the house and come see me in a week. And so he comes back another week later and he's just absolutely gone crazy now. And he says, I can't take it anymore Don't tell me to put anything else in my house. And the wise man said, now go home and take out the cow and the three chickens and the dog and come see me in a week. And he came back a week later and he said, everything is fine now. (laughs) The perspective had changed and he was able to see that there could be contentment, but he had to go through a struggle and some uncomfortability in order to get to that point. So what is it that causes this elusiveness of contentment in our lives? I mean, if you just look around in the world, the desire for money, the desire for prestige, the desire for more free time, none of these things are bad, but they cause us to 
want something that we don't already have. Maybe even a desire for a different set of circumstances. Maybe it's a better job, a better house, a better car, or dare I say, even a better spouse. It causes us to have seeds of discontentment that are sown into our heart and cause those things to grow. And all of a sudden, we realize that contentment has completely eluded us. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul, as we read the book of Acts, had all kinds of reasons to be discontent. But we read where he was content to be chained to a prison guard. He was content when he was being persecuted. He was content when he was going without food. If we read in, first, or in Philippians 4, starting in verse 10, we, we read a whole uh, capsule of, of his outlook on things. And he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by sharing with me in my hardship. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would bring meaning to your word today and that you would deliver a message of contentment this morning and help us to understand what it is that we need to unlock in our own lives to have the same type of contentment that the Apostle Paul had. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm gonna share with you this morning five keys to contentment. And these aren't some five keys that I have mastered as I've already stated, but these are five things that we find evidenced in the Bible that help us to understand how we can achieve contentment. The first one is caring for others. It's interesting when you are in a situation and things are going badly, the quickest way to turn that situation around is to all of a sudden stop thinking about yourself or stop thinking about the situation that you're in and instead start trying to help others. And so there's a couple of steps that we look at as far as caring for others. And the first one is uh, that of attitude. We have to have the right attitude in order for us to be able to care for others. Um, Raising a teenager, I have had to learn how to find out what motivates people. What motivates a teenager? When you say go clean your room, they are not motivated by the pride of going and having a clean room. You have to figure out what is it that is going to cause them to want to, to be motivated in that way. And we too, we have to learn what it is that is going to motivate us to care for others. Hopefully it is a sense of genuineness of wanting to help other people that is what's going to cause us to have that right attitude and be able to, to help others. If it's anything else, if it's a motivation of trying to uh, draw attention to ourselves, uh, then we will not accomplish what it is that we need to do. So after we have gotten the right attitude, then we need opportunity. Opportunity is sometimes just as simple as saying yes. There was a period of, my time, a period of time in my life many years ago where I was meeting uh, with a, a group of men on a regular basis and we were uh, praying together and, and sharing with each other and holding each other accountable. And one of the things that uh, we talked about a lot at that time was God being able to use us. You know, we, we read stories in the Bible about uh, the great men and women of God and how God used them. And, and 
so I, I longed for this idea of being able to be used by God. And so I began to pray, and I began to pray on a regular basis of opportunities. You know, God, give me an opportunity to, to pray for someone. And, you know, I thought that it was going to be you know, someone that I, I knew, someone that maybe I was uh, working with, and they were going to come to me and say, you know, hey, uh, I, I really need you to pray for me. And I thought that's the way that it was going to take place. But one morning when I was getting ready to go meet with this group of guys, and, and we met at a, at a restaurant, it's a fine dining place called The Huddle House. I don't know if you've ever been to The Huddle House, but it's the Waffle House after taxes. It's uh, you know, not, a, not in a great place, it was cheap and I could afford it. So we would go to The Huddle House and we would pray. And it was right on the interstate, and so a lot of uh, truck drivers would come in uh, while we were there early in the morning, and it was kind of a rough place. But that morning as I was getting ready to go, I was praying, God, Use me today. And all of a sudden, God quickened in my spirit the fact that there was going to be someone at the huddle house that day that he needed me to intervene with. And I thought, no, no, that's not exactly how I had it in mind. And he said, not only are you going to find someone today that I'm going to use you, but I'm even going to tell you what he looks like. And all of a sudden, I began to have this image of what this person was going to look like that I was going to encounter at the huddle house. And so I went there that morning. I didn't say anything to the other guys. I just sat there and I was eating. And I sat where I could kind of scan the door. And as each person came in, it's like, nope, that's not him. Nope, that's not him. And so time was winding down and I was about to leave and thinking, all right, you know, that was just a false alarm. God just wanted to know if I was willing to, to, to do this thing. But, you know, he's not really gonna ask me to go up to this perfect stranger. And about that time, in walks this person who fit the exact description of the person that I had seen that morning as I was praying. And I got up from the table, took a deep breath, walked over, and I said, I don't know you, and I know you don't know me, but I'm supposed to pray for you this morning, and I just want to know if that's okay. And he broke down in tears, and he said, you don't know how badly I needed someone to care about me this morning. God gave me an opportunity He gave me an opportunity to be a vessel for him. We have lots of opportunities. Opportunities in this church abound. We have the Thanksgiving blessing, back to school blessing, the Christmas blessing. We have VBS, Awana, nursery, childcare. We have all kinds of ways in which you can be involved. Sometimes all that opportunity is waiting for is for you to say yes. So once you have the attitude and the opportunity, then it's time to take action. If you can imagine a bunch of people sitting on the bench at a sporting event and they're all telling the people that are playing the game, oh, you really ought to throw the ball to that guy. He's he's, he's the one who you need to throw it to or you really need to block this guy. You really need to, to do this. And all these people are sitting on the bench and they're telling other people what to do and what not to do. And maybe it's time for those people to get in the game, to put off the bench, to get off the bench and put into action what God has put on your heart to be able to do to care for others. So caring for others through uh, attitude, through opportunity, and through action. The next key to unlocking contentment is allowing our circumstances to teach. Um, There's two different words that we find in Philippians 4, 11, and 12, and we're gonna look at those again here. They're both translated into English as the word learned. Here it's, I don't see, uh, say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And then in the next verse, 
It says it a little differently. It says, I have learned the secret of being content. Now, in English, those are both the same word, but the Apostle Paul actually used two different words. One is more of an academic learning, and the other was a study that helps to figure out the secrets of something. And so in these two words together, you realize that the Apostle Paul was a student of contentment. He studied how to be content. It wasn't just some big revelation. He's like, oh, yeah, now I got it. Now I know how to be content. And he walked on. He studied it. He immersed himself in it. In the first service, Dan Saylor was here, and he's not here, but I'm still going to pick on him because it's a good analogy. This weekend, his wife was driving the car, and, and, and it stopped all of a sudden. And so it was a, uh, a little bit uh, older car, and he got a book and, and figured out how to take apart the entire fuel system. He studied it. He studied all of the, the intake, and he studied the fuel filter, and he learned everything there was to know about the fuel system. And then he figured out that it was out of gas. And so he immersed himself in studying this whole uh, car and, and figured out that the, the uh, gas gauge was inaccurate. And that's what had caused it to stop was it didn't have any more fuel. But he immersed himself in learning and in understanding and in knowing about this. And there is the opportunity here for us to receive a lesson. And we have to, to realize how to receive that lesson. Um, my dad is here this morning at the second service. He wasn't at the first, but I, I talked about it at the first service, the fact that um, when I was growing up, he would tell me things. He would give me life lessons. He would give me advice. And, and I would, as most young people do, I would say, yeah, I don't think so. I'm going to do it my way. And it's amazing how now looking back and having children of my own and having them do the same thing to me that I realized, wow, he really knew what he was talking about. <laughs> he really had my best interest at heart. He really was giving me good advice. And if I would have just listened, that I would have learned those lessons the easy way. But instead, what do we do? We want to learn things the hard way. We want to experience it. We want to have that thing blow up and hit us in the face. But the th important thing for us to have happen in those moments when we're learning things the hard way is to truly learn. Another interesting part about this text in Philippians 4 is that we realize that the Apostle Paul was learning things in multiple states. He talks about how he was abased, how he had nothing and he was able to learn in that state. And then it talks about how he was abounding and he was able to learn when he had a lot. It's oftentimes easier for us to learn things when we're being challenged, when we're, when we're up against a wall and, and we're, we're desperate and we reach out to God or we reach out for help and, and we learn something in those tumultuous times. It's sometimes harder actually to learn in those times of abounding, in those times where we feel like, hey, I got this. I've got all I need. Look at what I have accomplished. And all of a sudden the attention turns to what we have done as opposed to what God is still doing with us. So Paul writing to the church at Philippi, he acknowledges the fact that he has understood and he has learned how to have a lot and still be content and how to have a little and still be content. There's going to be lots of states of being that we are in where we have to be able to learn. But we also have to be able to keep things in perspective Paul had a protege, a, a, a young man that he was mentoring named Timothy. And there's a couple of letters that Paul writes to Timothy. And one of those, 1 Timothy, uh, we read in chapter 6, verse 6, the following. But godliness with contentment is a great gain. 
It's interesting that he uses the, the word with there. The word with is a joining word. It means that it's an and, godliness and contentment. If you can go back to that previous slide. Godliness and contentment are what are required for great gain. There was a uh, popular commercial a couple of years ago that the Ford company did where it extolled the virtues of and versus or. And uh, one of the ones that I really liked was the, this couple. They, they were talking about the features of their car, and they said, yeah, and is much better. You'd hate to go to a bed or breakfast. And then it shows them coming down the steps of this, this house, and there's all these people in the, the room with their heads asleep in a bowl of cereal. And uh, you know, they, they said, man, we're glad we chose the bed and not the breakfast that and was better. You want both. You don't want one or the other. Well, God doesn't want one or the other. He wants godliness and contentment. He wants us to be able to act in a way that, that mimics how he has taught us, but then he also wants us to be able to be content. And through that godliness and contentment, we're able to bring about great gain. In the very next verse, we gain the true perspective of what he was trying to teach Timothy. He says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. And then the very next verse, but if we, ha if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. I don't know if you recognize the previous verse or not, but that's actually from the book of Job. That's what Job exclaims when he has lost everything. He says, I came into this world with nothing and I will leave this world with nothing. How can I be anything but content? As long as I have food and clothing, I have all that I need. One of the difficulties in the state of abounding, having plenty, is that we tend to want to hold tight to those things that we have accumulated. We feel like we've worked hard for it, we've got, gone and we've done what we need to do to have all of this abounding, and we don't wanna do anything to upset that apple cart. And so therefore, we're not willing to maybe do something that God is asking us to do because we're not willing to take a chance on losing what we have gotten. And so we have to learn to be content that even if it all goes away tomorrow, that we are content in having nothing. The third key is Christ empowering us. Christ empowering us. There's numerous stories that I could go through from the Bible, from history, of people doing amazing things through the power of Christ living in them. We think about Jesus dying on the cross and he uh, cries out to God, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. So even in a point of, of anguish and pain, he is able to do something that is amazing. He, he offers forgiveness. And then later in the book of Acts, Stephen does exactly the same thing. He's being stoned. He's being persecuted for preaching the word of God. And he looks up to heaven and he says the same thing. He says, God, please forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. We see amazing courage. The apostles were uh, often beaten and thrown into jail, and so we, we see those things over and over again. We read stories of Corey Ten Boone and uh, Holocaust survivors and all of these people that did amazing feats through history, and they give credit to the fact that God was empowering them. Christ was living in them and helping them and enabling them to be able to do more than they could ever do without him. Philippians 4.13, we've already read it this morning, but we'll read it again. It says, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. This idea of contentment is what it's talking about. It follows right after Paul saying, I've learned to be content with a lot. I've learned to be content with a little. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's talking about contentment here. He understands that with Christ's power, we can be content in any circumstances. But one of the keys to being able to stay connected to Christ's power is being staying connected to him. 
we have to stay connected to Jesus. Uh, a little over 17 years ago, my wife and I moved from Nashville to Paducah, Kentucky. We were moving there for me to go to work with my sister and brother-in-law. They had a small computer business. And the, uh, the week that I moved up, Gayla still had not moved up there yet. We weren't moved into our own place. I was staying with, with family. And one of the, the first couple of nights, I uh, went to dinner with them. And they had a, a beautiful little girl named Casey. She was four at the time. And she was my first niece or nephew. I didn't have any other... Uh, nieces or nephews, and so she was very precious to me. And that night at the restaurant, uh, I've been in town for a couple of days, and she gotten a little comfortable with me. She looked up and she said, I want to ride home with Uncle Chip. And my heart just melted, and I was like, okay, Casey, you can ride home with me. And so we got in our cars, and my sister and brother-in-law got in theirs, and I got in my truck with, with my niece, Casey. And my sister looked at me, and she said, do you know how to get home? And I'd been in town for a couple of days, and I'm a guy, I know my way around. It's like, yep, yeah, I got it. And so we get in the car, which was supposed to be about a 10-minute trip. Well, during this 10-minute trip, my, my niece had this adorable little quality where she wanted to uh, observe things outside and then say, I am. So I, I am a kitty cat. You know, I'm a puppy dog. Woof. I'm a blade of grass. I'm a stop sign. And she would say this over and over and over and over again. And incessantly, she would just chatter constantly the same little thing. And even after 10 minutes, I was ready for us to be home so she could get out of the truck and we could not hear about all of the things that she was any longer. But somewhere along the way, I made a wrong turn. And I don't know if any of you have ever been in Paducah or driven in Western Kentucky, but in about five minutes, you go from city to farmland where there's nothing around you but corn and cows. And so all of a sudden, I was surrounded by corn and cows, and all corn and cows look the same. Therefore, there were no landmarks for me to figure out what direction I was going or what direction I needed to go. Well, at this particular time, back in 1997, uh, cell phones were not as prevalent as they are today. I didn't have one. All I had was a beeper that I had gotten the day that I arrived, which was for business, for my sister and brother-in-law to be able to page me which they began to do about every two minutes once I had reached the 15, 20-minute mark that I should have been home by now. So my pagers, they're telling me, hey, you know, where are you? You're lost. You should be here by now. And I'm like, I know. I don't know how to get home. I've got a four-year-old who all she can do is say, I'm a blade of grass. I'm a stop sign. I'm a cow. And I'm a stalk of corn. And so we're driving through these cornfields. And, and finally, an hour and 10 minutes later, I make my way back to the house, and I pull up in front, and now she says, there's my house. I said, thank you. Thank you for that. But the problem was I had been disconnected. I didn't have GPS. There was no such thing back then. I didn't have a cell phone. I couldn't call and say I'm lost. I could have stopped, but I was only going to be able to ask a cow maybe at that point because I didn't see a house for miles. I was disconnected from what could help me. I didn't have any source of information or power to be able to help me get back. Fortunately, I found my way back, but I didn't have anything that was helping me in order to be able to do that. We have to stay connected to Jesus too, or we can just as easily lose our way like that. One wrong turn and all of a sudden we're in the middle of cow fields and cornfields. Staying connected. One of the things that prevents us from being uh, connected is the fact that we're connected to too many other things. All honesty right now, show of hands, who this morning has either checked an email, looked at Facebook, watched the news, or read a newspaper? Show of hands. All right. 
almost everybody in the room. We are connected by nature in today's society. We are plugged into so many things. Well, guess what? You can get plugged into so many things that you're not plugged into what's really important. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things. I stay connected to my children sometimes through those mediums. I I find out what's going on in the world sometimes through those mediums. But there is a time and a place for them and a way for us to stay connected to God because it is only through God's power that we're able to do anything. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus talking. He says, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. He was talking about salvation at that particular moment in time, but it is true in all things that we are doing. With men, most things are impossible that we want to do, like being content in life. But with Jesus, with God at our side, all things are possible. The fourth key is to seek God first. I have a seven-year-old who's at Camp Blast uh, right now. He's probably actually on the bus headed back here. And uh, he has a favorite word. It's a favorite word that just, when I hear it, it just drives me up the wall, you know, just gives shivers up my spine because I cannot stand this word after hearing it so many times. It's the word that always comes out of his mouth first when I ask him to do something. Zach, can you go clean your room? The first word out of his mouth is always, but. But dad, I wanted to... I wanted to get a snack first. Zach, I want you to go clean your room first. But dad, I need to get, but dad, but dad, but, 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 but. He always has a but. For anything that I say, he always has a response that starts with the word but. Well, apparently Jesus knew that this was going to happen. And so in his word, he uh, addresses this in Matthew 6, 33, verses 34. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. But first, the very first thing that we need to be doing in our lives is always seeking God. It's so easy to get discontented to turn our face away from what God is wanting us to do, but it is impossible for that to happen if we are seeking first him and his kingdom. And he promises us if we do that, all these other things will be added to us and tomorrow will take care of itself. We don't have to worry about all of those other things, all of those things that are pulling us into discontentment. If but first we seek the kingdom of God. The next key, oh, I, I want to say one more thing about, uh, about seeking God first. Another way that we can seek God is in counting our blessings. When I was in uh, second grade, I, I learned to him, uh, it was, uh, when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Whenever you are, are lost, whenever you are confused, Whenever you were thinking it can't get any worse, hey, count your blessings. Think about what God has already done in your life. Even if you've had a rough week, a rough month, or a rough year, there's something, there's some nugget that God has done in your life that you can grab hold of and say, I'm gonna stand on that. That's what God has done for me. When I think back in in my 46 years, I I think about a lot of things that God has done. And there's some young kids in here today. They haven't had the chance to, to spend that much time on this earth. But even in their short amount of years, 
They can think of things that God has done. They can count their blessings. When we count our blessings, it help us, helps us to turn our focus back on God. All right, now the fifth key, confidence in God's provision. When I was in college, I, uh, I got a degree in communication and one of my passions and my loves was announcing and doing radio and TV. And so during my senior year, uh, I was able to do an internship at what was then 980 WSIX AM. Most of you in the room probably don't even remember that there ever was a 980 AM station, but it was uh, sports talk and some other kinds of, of talk radio. And as I did my internship there, I really grew to love talk radio. And I really uh, loved the people that I was working with. I was working with uh, Duncan Stewart, George Plaster, and I was meeting uh, sports celebrities in the area. And it was just, it was a great time. And as I was graduating and trying to figure out what I was going, going to do in life, uh, some amazing turn, turns of events, turn of events happened, some things, some events happened. And uh, the uh, AM station got bought by a Virginia broadcasting station that wanted to take over the signal and do some syndicated religious broadcasting. Well, we can't share a signal, so all of a sudden we were wondering, well, what are we going to do with all of this programming, this sports programming, because um, the owner of 980 had no intention of passing up this deal. It was, it was too lucrative a deal. They, they had to take it. And so they sold off the, the FCC license and the, the broadcasting rights uh, right out from under us. And we didn't have a station any longer. Well, some investors got together and decided that maybe it was time that Nashville had the very first FM talk station in, uh, in the area. There was already one in another area of the country, but this would be the second FM talk station in the country. And so they got this the group of investors together, and we were able to, to purchase an FCC license for 99.7 WWTN. And that was, uh, I was there at the ground floor, and I graduated college. They offered me a job, and I was, I was working in this groundbreaking radio station, and it was awesome. I was getting to do what I had gone to school to do, and I was loving it. And then about six months went by, and uh, the initial investment had kind of uh, been spent, and I went to the bank one day, and all of a sudden I was overdrawn. And I was like, how can that be? I just, I just made a deposit of my paycheck yesterday. And I went and I looked, and, and it showed check returned. I'm like, man, what happened here? So I went to the bookkeeper, and he's like, yeah, um, things are a little tight right now. Uh, you were the fourth, fourth person to deposit their check, and only the first three actually got paid. I was like, it's like, is this going to continue? And he's like, I don't know. And so from that point on, it became a race to the bank on payday. Whoever got there first or second, maybe even third, would get their paycheck. But I had no, I had no confidence in the provision that there was actually going to be some money there when I would take that piece of paper and say, here's, here's what I have earned for doing my job. And so that did not last very long because I needed confidence in provision. Well, the cool thing about God is that we aren't dependent upon some bank account that can get overdrawn. We are dependent upon a God who has riches beyond riches. And when he gives to us, he gives to us out of the abundance of those riches. We don't have to worry about whether or not we're going to get there quickly enough to get his blessing. He's able and willing to give. He supplies all of our needs, not all of our greeds, but all of our needs. One of the, the coolest transitions as a parent that I saw with our son, Braden is that he went from every time he got to, to Walmart saying, I want this, I want that, to understanding that there were going to be days where he didn't get anything, many days where he wouldn't get anything. 
And when he got to that point of maturity and he got to that point where he no longer was expecting that something was going to come his way, when I did know that he needed something, there was all the more motivation for me to try to do something special for him, for me to try to give him the best of whatever I could give to him at that particular time because I knew he appreciated it. I could see the look on his face when he had asked for this and we went above and beyond and gave him that instead. And he would see, we would see that appreciation on his face. There's a scripture in the Bible in Matthew 7 that Jesus talks about this very thing. It says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God knows. God knows that we desire to give good gifts and he knows as well. He is able to give us those good gifts. So our keys are caring for others, allowing circumstances to teach, Christ empowering us, seeking God first, and confidence in God's provision. So we've got these keys. What do we do with them? How do we unlock contentment in our lives? There's a story about William Randolph Hearst. And you may not know who that is, but he was a famous newspaper owner, publisher back in the early 1900s. And he also was a collector. He became very wealthy through the newspaper business. And so he would go out and he would collect works of art and rare items. And he uh, amassed an amazing collection of things. And he just, he collected to collect. And so there was this one particular item that he was really searching for. He really wanted to find this one particular item and he had not been able to find it himself. And so he hired an agent, someone to do nothing other than search for this item because he had to have it. And so he hired this agent and he said, I will, all your full-time job is, is to just go find this item. And so for two months, this agent scoured looking at manifests and, and looking at warehouses and, and searching through other people's collections, trying to find this item. And, a, and contact came one day to Mr. Hurst, letting him know that the agent had been successful. He had located the item. And so Mr. Hurst contacted the agent and he said, I've got to know, where was it? He was expecting to find out that it was in some other person's collection or that it was uh, on display or in some foreign country. And the agent said, the funny thing is, Mr. Hurst, I found it in one of your warehouses. You've had it all along. You just didn't know it. We have contentment. It's in our hearts. All we have to do is unlock it to find it. We're going to stand right now and we're going to sing a song and we're going to spend some time thinking about this idea of contentment. At this time, the Lord's table will be open. If you'd like to take communion, you can do so with your family, by yourself, with, with someone else here in the room, whatever you'd like to do. I won't give further instruction about that. There's also communion in the back of the room, so either place that's convenient to you. I'd ask if there's any of our prayer partners here, any of our pastors that could make their way to the back wall and be there for a time of prayer. I'll be up here as well. If there's someone that you need to pray with, I started this day saying that this is not something that I walk in victory in. This is something I struggle with on a daily basis. So I too will be praying, praying for God to help me to unlock these keys to contentment, to be able to see that he's given me everything I need. 
He's giving me everything that I, I, I want as long as I seek him first. So I just pray that you will be opening up your heart to him today. Once we're done with this time of ministry, I'll come back up and close. But Jennifer and Aubrey are going to sing for us right now. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake.